This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm Michael Sears, and I'm joined by Commander Mike Norton, United States Navy, PhD, and Leadership Ethics and Law Associate Chair. Michael, you are one of the subject matter experts for our interactive series, Leave No One Behind. Welcome. Michael, it's great to be with you. You know, I like to think I understand the twists and turns a scenario can take, but as you can imagine, I mean, the decisions that you make can lead in many different directions when this actually happens in the real world. Yeah, this is going to be a complicated case study, interactive case study. I had said earlier, you know, you're one of the cases here. In fact, kind of the cool thing about this is this is two cases because, in fact, Leave No One Behind comes in two versions, one English language and one Spanish language. Same fact pattern, but different voices. Yes, you know, I guess it really opens the scenario up to a broader audience. Um, I know some of our midshipmen are bilingual, and this Radio Stockdale um, case study is certainly reaching a much more broader audience than the Brigade of Midshipmen. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any differences among the players um, when they take the English versus the Spanish version. That will be very interesting, and we'll be, we'll be able to track this and uh, hopefully assess if there are differences, either by the language, by the culture, by the nationality, or whatever. So uh, let's, you know, I, I like to say that there's a lot of gray out there. Uh, so these scenarios give students a chance to find solutions, find you know, in, in, a, in simulation form, much like a pilot or a ship handler would do with simulations. At certain points, you can metaphorically turn left or right, add power, put on the brakes. You make the decisions about what you do in each of these cases. And the good thing here, quite frankly, is you can try different approaches without the risk of crashing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, leave no one behind. It's a classic case that we've been using for many years here at the Naval Academy in our core youngster ethics course, NE203. Uh, Captain Rick Rubel, who's the founder of the course, conceived the case study back in the early 2000s. And he had the assistance of uh, Commander Lee Schonenberg, who he was actually a battalion officer when I was a company officer here. And he was a previous helicopter squadron commander. So you've got some real subject matter expertise in this case from the beginning. And then, honestly, making it digital has been fun. It gives the students an opportunity to consider the problems presented in a different way. And I've even tried to add in some details from my own helicopter experience um, from my two squadrons that I was in, including a couple of outstanding junior officers that I worked with when I was an officer in charge um, in my department head tour. You know, that's, that's great. So tell me this. Is this a fictional scenario, in a sense? Um. I would say yes, but but based in reality. So this kind of thing, while it's not the primary mission ever, if something happens where a, a sailor goes overboard, it becomes, with very few exceptions, the primary mission right away. So everything else will go all stop, and both the ship and whatever aviation assets are available will turn to trying to find the sailor that's overboard. You know, and that's a very good point. I want to be very clear here. This is not just an aviation scenario. This is how the aviation detachment and the ship work together to get this get to some solution, right? Absolutely. No, it's certainly a team out there. Um, that was most definitely my experience, both as a junior officer and as a department head. You integrate with the ship 
you deploy and it's one team, one fight. So let's jump into this. Uh, and I'm going to let the scenario speak for itself as far as setting the scene. So uh, let's hear the first part of the scenario. This is you, Lieutenant Roland Guerra. You're the maintenance officer for the two helicopter detachment aboard the USS Chafee, an Arleigh Burke class destroyer. You're watching your boss, Lieutenant Commander Alexa Bestoso, depart the flight deck as a passenger on a helicopter. Lieutenant Commander Bestoso has been ordered back to the carrier strike group for a two-day planning meeting with other department heads. For the past month, the USS Chafee's been conducting independent operations in the South China Sea with another U.S. Navy destroyer, USS Chang-Hoon, both over 300 miles away from the carrier strike group. The Chang-Hoon deployed without a helicopter detachment. Put this bird on Alert 60 status. Never know when they'll need us for search and rescue. You are now the most senior aviation officer aboard, responsible for all aviation operations. The weather changed overnight. By dawn, you're in the middle of 30-foot swells, 45-knot winds, and zero-zero visibility. None of your birds are going up in this. You're happy that conditions are forecast to be better for Lieutenant Commander Bestoso's return later in the day. Then, over the 1MC. Lieutenant Guerra, your presence is requested in combat. In the Combat Information Center. The Chung-Hoon has confirmed a man overboard with a dead reckoning plot on his position five miles from us. They can't launch a small craft in these conditions. Lieutenant Guerra, can you launch your helicopter? Your thoughts race. How long to launch? Realistically, about 45 minutes. Is the crew ready for a search and rescue operation in the worst conditions imaginable? They've trained endlessly for this moment. You know they're ready. And the decision is yours, and yours alone. All right, Commander. We've got a very interesting situation here. Man overboard. Uh, sea state's not good. Uh, and the CO has asked, not necessarily the debt commander, but the person filling in for her uh, to launch the uh, search and rescue helo. Right, which is both interesting and quite realistic at the same time. You know, so in this case, the department head, Lieutenant Commander Bastoso, the, the person with the more, uh, greater experience isn't on the ship. So you have a first tour junior officer, Lieutenant Guerra, who's the aviation expert. And it is not unrealistic at all for the captain of the ship to turn to a first tour lieutenant and ask, can we do this? Now, you, you say that the captain is asking, can you do this? The captain's not ordering. Break that down a little bit. Sure, absolutely. So to be clear, uh, that helicopter is that captain's asset. So as the captain of the ship, he is operationally in charge of that helicopter, Every captain I've ever worked for, and probably everyone out there, is going to realize they're not an aviation expert. So they're looking for input. It's not a clear day. Uh, the seas aren't, aren't calm. So they're looking for input to decide, hey, is this something that we can actually do to go look for this sailor? So that's why I say it's realistic that Lieutenant Guerra would be asked. That's an important point. You know, we talked earlier about this is not necessarily an aviation-only scenario. So I like how you say this is the captain's asset, but the captain is turning to the aviator to ask for his input. So they both have a lot at stake here. What's going through Lieutenant Guerra's mind at this point? Yeah, so I can say undoubtedly he wants to help. So we all have this focus on mission. We want to get the job done. And in this case, we have a shipmate in the water. So we're talking about saving a life. 
every single pilot out there at this point is going to want to get in the air and uh, try to save the sailor in the water. The complication comes with the weather conditions. Because while we train for search and rescue, it, it's a um, reoccurring qual you do. You have to do a certain number of approaches. Your crewmen have to do a certain number of jumps. You get evaluated every year on it. Doing it in bad weather probably isn't something that's commonly done. So you, it has to be considered deliberately rather than just launch the helicopter. Do you think that Gera is thinking about the ethical implications of putting three or four you know, crewmen on the helicopter at risk relative to the one? I mean, is this a utilitarian decision he's making at this point, or is it something else? You know, as an NE203 professor, I would love to say that's exactly what he's thinking about. And it's certainly part of um, this scenario. As a first tour JO, realistically, um, I'm not sure the word utilitarian is entering his mind, but he is considering things that would contribute to that line of thinking. So he's considering certainly the, the life in the water. I think the duty to that sailor is clear. We want to try to save the sailor if possible. And he's also considering his crew, trying to decide, are these weather conditions A, flyable, and B, not just flyable, but can I get up there and affect a rescue if we were able to find a sailor? So let me be clear here. No one on the bridge is talking about the ontological moral dilemmas and all that kind of stuff. They're talking about the operational capabilities of the aircraft, you know, how they, how long the sailor's been on the water and all that kind of stuff. Let's go ahead and at this point, assume that the launch happened. Uh, Commander, it looks like uh, you've lost that first Sarbird. Yeah. So a hundred percent unfortunate you know, Lieutenant Guerra would feel that pressure to launch. The captain wouldn't be um, overtly pressuring for a launch. But like I said, everyone wants to try to complete the mission, save a life. In this case, potentially as a first tour junior officer, not having the experience to realize that those are some varsity conditions that you're launching into might have contributed to it. Um, however, the, the crew that's flying, that aircraft commander was ultimately in charge of, do I try to go down and look for what I think I saw? Or do I launch and say, you know what? This is ridiculous. I got to come back. So the responsibility isn't 100% on Lieutenant Guerra, but as a first tour JO, I think that duty, that, that desire to save the sailor in the water probably took charge of his decision. Okay. So let's break this down to Midshipman and Loose Hall right now. Uh, and you're in the mode of Gera, and you're standing there uh, being asked, you know, being asked for your recommendation on launching the second bird. Sure. Um, let's say you say no, sir. What's the ramification? What are the ramifications of that, both ethically and operationally? Sure. So let's take the first one, ethically. Saying no to that second launch basically equates to a high likelihood that not only that sailor, but your crew are not going to be found. Because if you're not launching your helicopter, certainly the ship isn't launching its rib or anything else to look for um, the folks in the water. So unfortunately, what you're accepting at that point is the loss of um, 
four or five shipmates, depending on the type of helicopter that was launched. And, you know, that that's tough. That's a tough thing to swallow ethically when you do feel that duty to go save someone. Um, now, operationally, there's other factors that come in. And going back to the utilitarian thinking, part of good utilitarian calculus is all of the consequences, short-term, long-term, um, the type, the duration, the intensity. So let's look at some of the other duties that that detachment has. You know, with their second helicopter, they have a duty to support the ship when that ship goes on to whatever other missions they have. They have a duty to that second crew, knowing that the first one just crashed. You know, do you, do you put that second crew in the same kind of jeopardy? So all these things are coming in um, both ethically and operationally to complicate that second launch decision. So let's look at this from a little bit of a different tack. And that tack is uh, moral deliberation. You're the person who is in charge with the responsibility to make a decision and or a recommendation. How does that play? How does moral deliberation play here? Yeah, Michael. So, you know, considering the moral deliberation roadmap that we teach in NE203, there's four parts. You have your constraints, you have your consequences, you have your um, special obligations, and then you have your um, character, if you will. We've talked about some of them already. So, you know, the duty to the sailor in the water, that's a constraint. Uh, the utilitarian thinking that we talked about uh, is consequentialist reasoning, one form of it. Now, special obligations. I talked about the thinking through the obligation to the ship and the mission with your second helicopter. You have to remember, as a commissioned officer, when you took that oath, we talk about the constitutional paradigm, constitution, mission, service, ship, shipmate itself. You know, when you start getting into that mission being a higher priority, that's give, giving you some guidance on where you should be putting the primacy of your thinking when you're considering all those utilitarian um, possible consequences. So in this case, the mission is technically higher on that list. And I think another part of the moral deliberation roadmap that comes into play here is character. And I'd like to highlight a particular virtue. Uh, we actually use it in the scenario of courage. Pretty common military virtue that's discussed. We have a whole week on it in NE203. So one might say it's courageous to launch in bad weather conditions and try to save that sailor in the water. And at face value, that may be true. But if you delve into the virtue of courage and take Aristotle's approach and look at it in a spectrum from just the right amount in the middle to too much on one side to too little on the other side, too much courage is considered a vice. So that might be reckless or foolhardy. We can debate about whether launching the first helicopter would be that, but um, you ask any experienced helicopter pilot about the second helicopter, they might give you the opinion that that's bordering into the reckless or foolhardy to try to launch that second helicopter. So, Mike, lessons learned. Yeah, you know, I think for the students, for the midshipmen that are listening to this, don't worry about all the things that you might have just heard us talk about. Go into the scenario, make a decision for what you do right now as a midshipman. So here you are, 
at age 19, 20, 21, make that decision. Read the outcome and relate it to what you've learned in class. Then be curious. Go back and try a different path. Don't worry about getting some ideal outcome. This isn't about getting the right or wrong answer. It's uh, about learning and making mistakes is how we learn. Uh, For the instructors, what I encourage you to do is start with the outcome that you're interested in uh, teaching to. So I've done my best to tie the scenario to different points of the moral deliberation roadmap. You could actually use this scenario at a variety of points across the semester if you wanted to, sort of like a thread through your curriculum. Tied into as many decisions on the moral deliberation roadmap as possible. Have your students play it through, but you can focus each time on the outcome that you're interested in to support your learning outcome. And that might help you in the classroom having an interactive prompt to get at that learning outcome. And by all means, don't be limited to the connections I've made. So I made some to the moral deliberation roadmap. Undoubtedly, you and your students are going to find more. So go with whatever you and your students are talking about in class. So, Commander, you have earned a Ph.D. You you teach ethics, leadership, character, law at the Naval Academy. But I notice above your left breast pocket, you've got the wings of gold. You're a helicopter pilot. Absolutely. What would you do? (laughs) Oh, you had to put me on the spot. Yeah. I'll tell you, last time I flew was 2010. But I talk with the midshipmen a lot about aviation because some of them are interested in it. And we use this case every semester in any 203. I do my best to rewind in my life and put myself in that moment as a junior officer. So now we're going back to between 2000 and 2003. So I'm Lieutenant Guerra. What would I do? I'd love to say that I would talk through, at least mentally think through everything we've discussed today and make that fully uh, deliberative decision with the moral deliberation roadmap. I think um, certainly midshipman third class Mike Norton in ethics class, or even Lieutenant Mike Norton as a JO, would have launched that first helicopter for sure, no questions asked. And you know, for the second launch, I'm thinking of myself as an officer in charge. I think what I really center back to is now my time teaching in any 203 since about 2018. And like I said before, Captain Rubel, since the early 2000s, has been using this case study. We have a lot of good data across two decades from many senior military officers, aviators and non-aviators, with experienced you know, risk management about whether they would launch that second helicopter. Overwhelmingly, the answer is no, just because of both the conditions and what just happened to the first helicopter. Thanks for the conversation, Mike. And and, and thanks for working with us on this scenario. Shameless plug time. If you want to play this or other scenarios in this series, go to Stockdale Center, one word, stockdalecenter.com slash interactive and run through your own decision-making to see where you come out. Professor, Commander, Aviator, Mike Norton, thanks again for joining us. Michael, it was my honor. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com 
slash podcasts. 